Welcome to the Long Thread Podcast about spinning, stitching, and weaving by hand. The podcast is presented by Long Thread Media, publishers of Spinoff, Handwoven, Piecework, and Little Looms magazines. Find us online at longthreadmedia.com. Trinway Silks is where weavers, spinners, knitters, and stitchers find the silk they love. Select from the largest variety of silk spinning fibers, silk yarn, and silk threads and ribbons at trinwaysilks.com. You'll discover a rainbow of colors thoughtfully hand-dyed in Colorado. Love natural? Trinway's array of wild silks provide choices beyond white. If you love silk, you'll love Trinway Silks, where superior quality and customer service are guaranteed. I'm your host, Long Thread Media co-founder, Anne Merrow. Keith Fassett is a visual artist who works mainly in textiles. He not only creates with colors and fabrics, he creates the colors and fabrics that crafters have been using for decades. Keith, thanks so much for being with me. Very nice to be here. So in your background, you have a beautiful, bright, colorful quilt, and I can see that's actually layered. There's two quilts behind you. I came to know you as a knitter, but I know that quilters can claim you as well, Needlepoint. Do you have a particular favorite? Not really. No, I love all textile work. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I love painting out my designs to be printed, putting together patchwork. I, I love doing Needlepoint and I love knitting. You know, they're all delicious things to do with your hands. They are. So you paint your work. Is that for needlepoint designs and fabric designs to be printed? Just for fabric designs, which are then sold to people and sent to us to play with as fabric uh, for our patchwork quilts. But with the needlepoint, I actually just sit down and stitch my first design. I stitch it all out so all the stitches are in the right place, and then they make a print onto a canvas. But uh, I used to do it just artwork, and I was appalled at the way people interpreted my artwork. So I interpret it for them. (laughs) So I know where every stitch is going. What do you mean by that? You were appalled at how people interpreted your artwork? Well, you know, they, they would look at a curve or a line in my design, and they would do it the way I wouldn't do it. There's a certain amount of interpretation. When when taking an image and trying to make to an embroidery, a lot of decisions, you have to abstract it. And I wanted to make those decisions. Do you use a variety of different stitches or is it really more of the graphic, the line and shape that inspires you? I'm incredibly disappointing to people who are all about showing off fancy stitches. I don't do (laughs) anything. I learned one stitch. It's called tent stitch or half cross stitch. And I do all of my work with that. I'm never interested in technical acrobatics, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that color is what is fabulous. And, you know, a beautiful image that has beautiful colors, you don't need to go any further. You don't need to make it into some weird convoluted thing in a thousand different technical stitches. You know, to me, that's just missing the point. So it's really about the line and the color in a single plane. Yeah, and trying, trying to make color the important thing, because what, what I've noticed in so many textiles is that that's a kind of low on the list. A lot of design is very interesting design, but it falls down because it doesn't have sexy coloring, you know. <laughs> and when you're designing fabric, in a way, you're having 
two different elements of color. For example, when you're working with your quilting fabrics, there's a design within the fabric, and then you are working patchwork with it as well. Yeah. What I'm doing is creating a paint box for patchwork. Here, here are some elements to play with. Here's some pastel. Here's some wonderful sunny yellows. Here's some blues, reds, you know, so that they have whatever mood they want to create. So it's a very interesting design problem, you know, to have, to set out, to give people raw material for creativity. And what I end up doing is studying old quilts, you know, looking at vintage quilts and seeing what is it that those wonderful women out in a log cabin on the plain, right. America, you know, what were they taking and, and highlighting and, you know, cutting a little paisley out very carefully and mounting that on a hexagon, you know, just these wonderful, wonderful old quilts. They're just so exquisitely beautiful and beautifully observed the way people looked at fabric and used it in the most imaginative ways. So I, I learn a lot from that. So I look at that and I think, well, I can be simpler and stronger in my patterns to make that vocabulary for people who are going to put it together with something else. And the people who were building those old quilts were often limited to some extent by the, the colors that were available, either the colors that were technically available at the time or the colors that they had. And you don't have that kind of restriction. Do you no. tend to choose those restrictions for yourself? Do you say, I think I'm going to, you know, work within this palette? Or are you sort of celebrating the whole range that we can get now? Well, in a way, you're always restricted because, for instance, with me, I've, I make a collection. It has a season. That's what is available to me that season. So I have to try to give myself enough materials to play with when I'm going to actually make a quilt out of the fabrics I've designed. Then I sit down and I, I realize, oh God, what I did, you know, four years ago or five years ago would be perfect in here, but it's not in the collection anymore. But, you know, it sometimes can be a great stimulus, the limitations of something. You've only got this to play with, you know, what fabulous dish are you going to cook? You know, out of these. That's true. You know, when I look at the quilt that's behind you, which unfortunately our, our listeners can't see right now, but there are some panels that are in the color palette that I think of as being sort of classic K-facet, which is a, you know, a, a sort of a bright pastel. But then there's also some that are orange and black and yellow. Yeah. Am I just having too restricted of an impression of what, what a K-facet color looks like? Uh, perhaps. I mean, what what interesting about the quilt behind me is that it's an antique hmm. And I just love the fact that it was so full of unexpected color. And yet the whole thing has harmony and uh, jazziness. It has life, you know, in, in its color. And part of it is that, you know, really strong yellow and black light, like police tapes. I love police tapes. When I go, you know, walking down through a cityscape and suddenly there's this, you know, yellow and black diagonal stripe tape do not go here. And I love it. I think it's, it's strong. It's graphic. Cuts through all the rubbish of a city and makes it kind of interesting. So I like to use contrast in my work as a kind of spice. All of these textiles, to some extent, are things that you live with. 
every day. Mm. So you're choosing as your canvas elements that you have as part of your life that generally keep you warm Mm -hmm. and that you can literally shape around your life. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's something which is very attractive to me about textiles is that it's a canvas that you can make as beautiful and as aesthetic or as interesting intellectually or whatever you want. You know, you can, you can put content into this thing, which is actually a practical thing. You know, maybe it's a rug or, you know, a, a bedspread to throw over the bed or, you know, maybe it's a pair of drapes or whatever. But it's, you know, to me, I just look at it and I think, ah, I have that much space to express something. That's to me what what textiles are all about. I mean, when I sat down to knit my first sweater, I put 18, uh, was it 18 colors into it? No, 20 colors into it, because I had bought 20 balls of yarn at this wonderful mill, and I was on my way home, and I thought, well, I'm going to use every single color that I've got here. They're all going to go together beautifully. And so I put them all into the thing, and that's I've never looked back from that. I, I tried to knit a plain beige sweater once, which would have thrilled teenage girls now. They all wear beige like <laughs> old ladies. And, you know, to me, there's a wonderful canvas the size of a sweater or a coat or a jacket or whatever. You can, you can express, you can talk about the beautiful shapes that you would see in tiles or mosaics or things in the ancient world. And you can bring all that back to life in, in a garment. But very few people do anymore. You know, there was a period where a lot of were following me and and enjoying playing with pattern as much as I do. But I think that sadly, that's kind of in the past now. Well, it sounds like you're certainly not afraid of afraid of intarsia, which many people are. They're intimidated by having that many color changes. Yeah. And, you know, I started out playing with that. And it's very interesting. Every now and then, a new knitter will be given one of my books and she'll sit down and she will knit the most complicated thing in my book because nobody told her that was really impossible. <laughs> you know, so she just does it and she doesn't have that that terrible fear. And uh, so I've seen some amazing projects done by beginner knitters uh, of mine because actually my knitting is not difficult to do. If you just sit down and don't panic and just knit row by row. It's not that complicated. So when I see mentions of your work and exhibits, it tends to be the quilt work. And maybe I'm just not seeing more knitwear designs, which used to proliferate. So I'm wondering if your interests have switched more to quilting, or if you think that it's just that the knitting market is different than it used to be. Well, it is different. I mean, I think I think actually people are getting a little more interested. I think they're getting bored with those beige shawls and things they're making, and they're thinking about maybe doing something a little more interesting. But I would say that I get more publicity from the the fact that I'm more into patchwork. But it, I mean, I I still love knitting, and um, after I've been working with uh, painting textiles, which which is incredibly intense, you know, taking a design and putting it in different colorways and different color moods is a very very arduous 
you know, something it really it involves every aspect of my soul when I'm doing it. So I need a break and I go over and I either do a, a jigsaw puzzle or I, or I need a few rows of knitting, you know, to give me a refresher. So when you have different colorways in your fabric line, are you painting each of them individually? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I paint out the original design and then I print it on the printer and I paint over them. So every area that's black, say, becomes shocking pink or whatever to change the mood. And it's fun. It sounds like one of those, you know, painting photographs, that, that technique of yeah. painting what used to be black and white photographs. Oh, I would have loved that. That would have been a great job, you know, to sit down <laughs> other photographs. Yeah. Really, really enjoyable. I would love it. So when you do a different collection... Do you notice that what you're interested in changes over time? That So, for example, if you have a different collection every six months or year, do you think, oh, well, this is something new that I want to explore? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, just recently, you know, it's interesting that you notice that contrast behind me. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, because that's, that is the kind of thing that has been coming much more into my uh, playing. It's, I realized that you, what you want is good articulate elements in a quilt. If you're going to put a lot of patterns, if they're very, very subtle and very complex and rich, uh, the whole thing can end up looking like a bowl of chop suey. You know, it's just all <laughs> together. Need things that kind of have a line and a, a character that stands out, a simplicity, mm-hmm. a boldness. And so I would say that I'm getting more, more bold in my contrasts in my fabrics. One of the things that I have noticed over the years is that you have a very large range of collaborations that you do, whether it's with a yarn company or a fabric company or individuals, you know, such as Brandon Mabley or Liza Pryor, Lucy, that you are working across the, I don't know whether you'd say the art or the industry. How does that work for you? How do you enter into those collaborations and how do you direct them? Ah. Well, with Brandon, it's very easy because he's right here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's, he's a cornerstone of my life, you know. So he's a very interesting case because he uh, just came to my studio and was fascinated with everything that was happening here and seemed to have a kind of knowledge, a kind of instinctive knowledge about what I was doing. He got where a lot of people come to my studio have not a clue what I'm doing, you know. It's like... <laughs> They just think, oh, that I'm doing something very, very colorful or something that's beyond them. And they so they don't even think about it that much. But Brandon absolutely looked at everything very carefully and understood what I was doing and wanted to do it himself. He wanted to acquire those uh, techniques and those ways of expressing himself because he had a lot to express. And then he just sat down and he, and he was a very quick learner. So I could teach him how to draw, how to stitch, how to knit. And he picked it up very, very quickly and began to, to produce his own very, very individual things. So it, it, it's always very interesting to me to watch him develop as a designer and an author too. But with Liza, she was just this very bright girl in America who everyone told me was very talkative. You know, (laughs) I was going to get bored with her right away. And uh, (laughs) absolute opposite. We just were like a house on fire. We were talking a mile a minute because we both had 
the same ideas and the same passions. And we just became fast friends overnight. You know, it's like no doubt about it. And she always has the same kind of ambition as me, but not quite the drive. I mean, mm-hmm. when I get an idea, I say, let's do a book on this. And she always says, <laughs> you're jumping to a book already? We were only beginning to explore this. But but I do, I, I get very quick. And she comes right along and she's very knowledgeable and has a great network of friends and um, influences and so forth. So well, I always think of Brandon and Liza and I as three musketeers. You know, we, mm-hmm. we have adventures together and we, we really help each other. And that's one of the secrets, you know, when people say, how do you get so much done? Do you ever sleep? Well, we get so much done because we encourage each other. We're always there saying, you know, don't abandon that idea. There's really a very, very good idea there. You just need to do it a little bit this way or a little bit this way. So we're advising each other, helping each other to uh, realize our dreams, really. Mm-hmm. That actually it ties into one of our one of our subscribers, um, Hannah Thyssen Howard, was curious about if you have you know advice for people who are getting into surface design or textile design, and you know mentioning that you were doing some teaching of Brandon and techniques that he didn't know. Yeah. How do you advise folks who are starting off? First of all, get good friends. I, I, <laughs> I have a sister who's very, very creative, and she's turned into a twisted person because she cannot do her own thing. She's not encouraged by her friends. She does not have friends around. They, they think craft is one of the weirdest things. It's like witchcraft or something. You know, it's like why are you involved in that? Why are you doing that stuff? You know, and and that's no good because that's where she would find her soul if she, if she would sit down and actually apply her wonderful creative eye. She has a wonderful eye, but she just doesn't doesn't use it. And so that's what I would say to people. You know, the first thing is get friends who are sympathetic to your dream. Try to find. Somebody who's going to encourage you rather than discourage you. It's very easy to put someone down and make them feel that they're not worth it. They can't really do it. They're not up to the task. And uh, a lot of people are. You know, my workshops are filled with women who are experiencing the joy of discovering who they are after giving their lives over to a man and the children. And finding the children have left home, and instead of crying, they're going out and they're doing a workshop, and they're starting to put together the passions that they had, and then nurturing that. And you know, there's a lot of happy tears and things in the workshops because people are discovering that, oh, I can do this, I can do this, and then of course they get encouraged from Brandon and I. You know, we're we're thrilled to see somebody who doesn't think they can produce anything, do something absolutely wonderful in a workshop. And they usually do. That's true. I remember getting the idea in elementary school that I was not good at art. And therefore, you know, having the ability to play with colors and put colors together wasn't something I felt like, I mean, I suppose I could have felt like I had the permission, but I go into an art store and I think, well, these are all for somebody else. (laughs) Maybe I'll get a box of pencils. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very easy. You know, I I remember story of this little child was painting a, a wonderful autumn landscape and she put mm-hmm. three little white blobs across the landscape and the teacher said what is that and she said those are rabbits 
And the teacher said, why? It's not Easter. Completely ruined this little girl's dream. <sighs> Wonderful little bunnies jumping mm -hmm. the landscape. But uh, so, so that's, it's very easy for someone to make an offhand remark and just put somebody in their place. And that's very, very sad to me. I think that that's kind of why both Brandon and I, when we go out on the road teaching, you know, we travel across the world and we arrive somewhere and we're about to do a workshop. We're both thrilled. It's the day of a workshop and we get to have a new group of people and mm -hmm. put them through that wonderful immersion in their own creativity and have them happy at the end. You know, it's, it's a celebration at the end of every workshop. It's absolutely wonderful. And I think quilting and quilting fabrics are also accessible to people in a way that things like paint aren't. Yes, very true. Very true. Because first of all, it's very immediate. Um, sometimes, you know, doing a painting can take a long time. Other times it can be very, very quick. But to be quick, it's got, you've got to have confidence. And the thing about fabric is you can cut it up and you can try things. And you, we, we work on a, on a piece of flannel that we just put up. People just paste their fabric on it so they can stand back. They've made a kind of tapestry of color. And then we can encourage them and say, well, this is good. There are certain elements there that are working against your design. So let's put something better in and so forth. Mm -hmm. And um, they get there. But... It is wonderfully immediate, and that, that in a day you can create a quilt, uh, quite a substantially beautiful quilt. You know, speaking of having encouragement and a welcoming community, I have the impression that there was this sort of incubator or development in Northern California around the time that you started working there or afterward through Straw Into Gold and Susan Druding, who went on to become a quilter herself. Yeah. Do you think that there's something about that kind of nexus? I know that you are originally from California. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yes, I. there was something in the air for sure. Mm -hmm. you know, and I found it with knitting. And a lot of people came on my trip with me, you know. Um, and I remember I did this tour across America. And I would, you know, I would go into a bookshop and I'd say, I've just done you know, a television spot and, and a radio interview, you're going to get a lot of call for my book. And they say, but what's your book? And I would say, it's called Glorious Knitting. And they said, oh, we had two copies of that. That's sold. You know, that's, that's, we never sell more than two copies of a, of a knitting book, you know. Mm -hmm. I, well, I think you're going to sell a few more if you have them. <laughs> and it was very hard to convince people that we were on to something, but mm -hmm. Was and when I when I got to California, which was the last bit of my trip, um, mm -hmm. I was going to gold and Susan Druding came over to me with a great big basket full of silk and mohair and wonderful yarns, and she said, "This is a gift to you because of what you've done for the industry." It was so moving, you know. Oh, you know, it was like it was like a crusade, you know. Right charging across the country and having a lot of people not understand what I was about, but people like Susan absolutely got it. And, uh, you know, there was a great wave of creativity. You're, first, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Some of my listeners have been curious, you know, do you have a favorite? And I think I'm not going to ask you that question because it seems like you don't have a favorite. No, 
No, I really. And people always say, do you have a favorite color? And I said, do you have a f- child? Come on. <laughs> Even less so because there are infinite colors and hopefully you don't have infinite children. <laughs> do I understand that you initially, once upon a time, started off in painting? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I've just had the most wonderful thing happen. The Royal Academy of Arts here has just put out a calendar and they put mm-hmm. one of the things on the front of the calendar, which is unbelievable honor for me because I couldn't get into their summer show for years. And this last year was the first time I got a painting in there. So that's very exciting. Yeah, I, I love painting. Um, and I, I paint, I think, better, if it's possible, from working with textiles. It really sharpened my sense of color. People always say, oh, well, of course you, you can do color in, in textiles because you paint. And I said, opposite. I, I, you know, I've instinctive approach to color, which is what I learned from working with yarn and fabric. Have you ever experimented with dyeing? Yeah, I always say life's too short for dyeing. <laughs> I have... I, <laughs> I work very quickly. I need a lot of stuff. I go out and find it, or or I design it. I suppose that's another element of collaboration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I love that. I love um, being able to give uh, a company an idea for uh, a use of color. It's very exciting. So, what are you working on right now? What five things are you working on right now? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm 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 always working on yes, tons of things. I I'm working on. Always knitting, you know, collections coming up. Uh, I work, I've designed for Peruvian connection, you know, and then I also um, I knit for Rowan, and then uh, I've, I'm always working on needle points that are coming out uh, for the Ermine catalog. And then I I design, you know, just working on textile. Every once in a while, if I get an idea, I sit down and I just paint out a design so it's ready. So uh, that's what I'm doing. You know, just I had a, a bright idea the other day, and I, I'm sitting down realizing it and putting it in all its different color moods. Is there any difference between what you're creating as part of your studio and, and what you're creating for yourself? Do you have projects that you work on just for yourself? Occasionally, I'll make uh, small quilts that are just, you know, playing with fabric I bought on my travels not using my own for once, um, but, you know, to, uh, to use things and create something that's totally out of the range of my fabrics. Um, you know, sometimes when, actually, when we go out to do our books, I think it's when it's most creative, you know, because it's like you've made the fabric and then fabric comes in and then you make quilts out of those fabrics and then you have this piece that you can actually take to a fishing village or, you know, an Islamic temple or something. And you can photograph it in, in a very sensual way that really emphasizes the curves and the tones of color that are in that piece. That's true. I hadn't really thought about that. So the way that people are experiencing your work is partly through, as you say, creating the materials, but then also through books and you're directing the photography and directing how they're presented. So that's kind of an additional layer of your influence and vision. That has a lot to do with how people perceive it, because you know it's extraordinary. You can you can produce the most beautiful fabric that you know is beautiful. I mean, you just you know it just makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck and so on. But people will just look at it and say, "What do I do with it?" And so 
I said, well, if I need to show you, here's what I'm, I'm going to show you. I'm going to take this to a beautiful location and I'm going to place it so that, you know, these flowers, this wonderful old brick wall, and this, you know, as, is enhancing and bringing out the qualities of this piece. So, you know, hopefully you'll get it. <laughs> so what are you working on right now? I've just finished working on a book of, of small projects, you know, mm-hmm. so play around with fabric in, in a way that doesn't take them all year. A set of napkins, let's say, for a table dressing. You know, a little table runner or something just to throw over the back of the couch or whatever. And cushions, lots of cushions. So that's just a way of showing people how we play with colors and, and, and how you put the edge on a cushion and so forth. Mm-hmm. So to me, they're very instructive, these little books, because they're you can just do completely your own thing, but you can also follow it totally. Use fabrics that are on the market at that time. But it's, it's also just, I mean, it's a way of realizing, oh, well, here's the way you actually go about making a cushion and with a board and a little bit of binding around the edge and so forth. So I think these, these are incredible. So I, I don't know how long it takes, about probably 16 months or so before it'll actually come on the market. But when it does, that's one to look for. So I'll look forward to that book and to everything else that's coming out in the meantime. Thank you very much. To be enjoyable. To see the vintage quilt that we discussed in our interview, please visit the show notes at peaceworkmagazine.com. And to learn more about CAFE's work and artistic partnerships, check out the summer 2024 issue of Peacework Magazine, coming in April.
Thank you for listening to the Long Code Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate the show and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again.